Thank you. Oh, I'm on. So weird to have a microphone on me that's like not coming through my... I mean, it comes through my ears. We wear in-ears up there. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Hi, this is starting very well. Um, <laughs> hey, church. How are we going? Online church and Alora. Thank you. Anybody who's watching at home, I'm just going to... Oh, no. I've lost my light already. This is going very well. Um, Welcome to church. Thanks for coming, and thank you to everybody in the room, and I know I've got some guests here, so thank you very much also for coming along. Um, okay, so welcoming people um, That's what I'm talking about today. Is it on the... No, that's all right. We're good. We're, all, we're off and running. So, um, the story of the prodigal son. Um, it's a tale as old as time. It's potentially the best-known story of all time, regardless of if you are a Christian or a non-Christian. Um, it's the story of many of us in this room, and, it, and it's, it's my story. Um, that's, why, that's why you're hearing about it today. So five years ago, I walked into a church of my own volition for the first time in probably 20 years. Uh, not for a wedding, not for a funeral, um, not because the kids wanted to go, not because I've been invited by some incredibly lovely friends of mine. Hi, Adam and Lisa and the Ganglin family. Thank you very much. Um, but I came because a mate was launching a new church. Now, here's the funny thing, uh, this person, uh, these people are now very good friends of mine, but at the time, it was kind of like a little bit of a looser friendship, you could say. We weren't catching up for dinner regularly. It was just people that I kind of knew. They were launching a church. I said, we should probably go. Um, and at that time, on that day of the launching of that church, he preached a sermon on the prodigal son. Um, so I walked into that room, a non-believer at best, and a cynical atheist at worst. Um, What's an atheist doing at a church on Sunday is probably a really good question for a very different sermon. But uh, the good question, um, but I would say the shorthand for that is I was either the world's worst atheist or the world's most clueless Christian in waiting. <laughs> and potentially both. Um, but as the sermon built, and it, as these things tend to do, um, the sermon started building and, you know, the son returns home to the father. I'm really sorry if, after I've banged on about how this being the most famous story of all time, I've just, built, you know, spoiled the ending. Um, but, so, like, the son comes home to the father, and there's this massive outpouring of love from the father to the son. Um, and in that moment, I, I started to cry, um, which was not something I had done in a church before. Um, maybe at a funeral. Um, but certainly wasn't expecting to on that day. And I knew that it was a bit of a shock. Certainly a bit of a shock for me. And I knew that it was a bit of a shock. So I was standing room only at this point, right? At the back of the room. Um, and uh, standing up and Kara was sitting down. And I knew it was a bit of a shock. Because I looked down as I was crying. And Kara looked up and kind of did one of these ones. Huh. <laughs> like, not like fear. Not like just, oh no, what are we going to do with this? Um, <laughs> And the fun part of that is she didn't know and I didn't know either, right? Like I didn't have the verbiage for this. I had no idea what was happening. All I knew was I was just like crying at this story. That knew, again, even non-Christians know the story of the prodigal son, right? So at that point, I didn't know. And now I do. Now I know exactly what happened in that moment is in that very moment, God was welcoming me home. That's what was happening right there and then. I didn't know I was lost. I didn't know I'd been away from home. I certainly didn't know that I needed to be welcomed back. But in that moment, God did. And I now know that welcoming people home is what we do as individuals, as Christians. And as Encounter Church, that's why we've made it one of our missional values. Because it's what Jesus does, right? So when we talk about welcoming people home, we can think about it in a lot of different ways, right? So there's the really, really obvious way, which is just like welcoming people to your home, 
like your house where your clothes are and your TV and the fridge and whatnot, right? So like, that's it. You can just invite people around. And if you're a Christian, you should definitely be doing this, right? Because hospitality begins at home and, and we invite people in and show them our lives and kind of say, yeah, come along for the ride. And if you're not a Christian, that's cool. You can totally do this too and you probably are already. And if you are a non-Christian or a Christian and you particularly like good food and good wine, please send me an invite. I'm always available, right? <laughs> and then there's welcoming people here to encounter church. Um, now, this is if you are a regular member of our church, this is our home, right? And the same rules kind of apply. Um, and the reason those rules apply, here's an interesting statistic that a few of you have probably heard before, but I think it bears repeating, which is 82% of non-churched people, so that's people who don't regularly go to church, don't have a church they call home, 82% would come to church if they received a personal invite from a friend that they trust. 82% is an awful lot of people. That's a staggering number. And the fun part is when we talk about like trusted person, guess what? That's you guys. Like, you all have people that know you and love you and trust you, um, and that's it. Like, that's all they need. 82% of people, that's all they need. So if you have an empty seat, this is where everybody goes, Ugh. Right? Like, if you have an empty seat next to you, look at it now. Who could that have been? Genuinely, who could that have been sitting next to you today? Because 82% of your non-church friends would have potentially come if you'd just reached out and said, would you like to come? right? So if you're doing that, fantastic. If you're not, that's cool. You can start tomorrow. That 82%, that was me. That was me, right? I'm here um, because Adam and Lisa, I'm sorry, I've called them out like twice now, and now Lisa is much like Emma and is kind of going, cool, thanks, thanks. Um, right? Like, I'm here because they invited us. Because we were there plus ones. You've probably heard of a plus one culture. At our church, we are praying for somebody who's non-church, who doesn't have a home or used to call us home and doesn't anymore um, because we believe in this, right? Because we know that there is a home for them and there's a bit more on that in a minute. Um, so we pray for those plus ones. Well, Cara and I were Adam and Lisa's plus ones. That's why I'm literally here today. And then I thought about it just before. And I had, this, uh, I had two rules for myself today. Number one, please don't vomit before you get on platform. Tick, right? Like, fantastic. Thank you, I really, I appreciate all of you. Like, it was a really big accomplishment. And then there was point number two, which was do not cry before or once you get on platform, because I'm a dad of three girls and kind of crying is what I do now, right? <laughs> and I was like, nope, not gonna happen. And then out of the blue, I was singing before, I was worshiping, and I feel a bit of a tug at my T-shirt, and it's my eldest daughter, Cadence. And she just comes and gives me a really big hug and says, I'm really proud of you, Dad. And let me tell you, Number two, not a tick, right? Like a big red cross, right? And because in the moment I thought about it and I realized I am in church because Adam and Lisa invited me, but I'm also in church because Cadence invited me. Because my eldest daughter came to me one day thanks to an invite from her friend. And then one day she was like, hey dad, can we go to church on Sunday? Because she'd been going to youth on a Friday. So guys, if you are part of our youth team here, do not underestimate just how important that is. It is so, so vitally important. I am here today, I am preaching the word of God to this room today because my eldest daughter invited me to church because one of her good friends invited her to church. Okay, so that is so important. I've already gone so far off script, but let's go, right? So, I wasn't expecting this to happen earlier, so, you know, we're just getting what we get. Now, uh, another way we can offer people home, you're like, we're still on that, we're still on that, right? So, is... We, we want to offer people the opportunity to come home and not to our house and not to our church, even though those are wonderful places to invite people. We want people to come home to the kingdom of God, right? Now, that's a really big picture expression for people that don't normally come to church. The kingdom of God is literally, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, that is what I want for you. And if that means come to my house, see how I live, come to my church, see how we live as a people, 
great, but those are steps, right? The end result is I want you to have a relationship with Jesus the Father. I want you to know that you're reunited with him, that he loves you, and that you have a family that desperately wants you. This can be done with an invite to church. It can be done with a coffee with a mate who has been asking questions about your church, your faith, or anything in between. Each of these are vital, they're important, and realistically, they don't require that much of us. It's pretty basic. These are what we can do, born out of what's already been done, because there's an example that's already set. Now, I said prodigal son about 15 minutes ago, uh, <laughs> and here we are, we're coming back, right? The prodigal son. So, already an instant digression after my coming back from the digression. A little bit of context, right? So, in this section of Luke's gospel, Jesus is sitting and he's kind of telling a series of stories to some gathered masses, right? Sinners and Pharisees alike. Now, I was in here like, just like, yeah, sinners, everybody knows what a sinner is, and Mike went, do they? And I was like, good point, right? So, sinners are like, um, it's not just as basic as you think it is. They're people who just like, they don't have a relationship with God yet. And not only that, but they're living in direct opposition to kind of those ways, those teachings, right? So it's not just as simple as did a bad thing, um, right? And then there's Pharisees who were like the religious elites of their time. Um, really good at kind of knowing the rules and following the rules, not necessarily always so good at all the other stuff. Um, so Jesus is talking to people both on the inside of the church and outside of the church. So if you're in this room today and you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure, not 100% comfortable, that's okay, this is still for you. Right? Jesus is still for you. So the stories in this series of stories that he's telling at the time, they're kind of variants on the same thing. Um, there's the story of uh, the lost coin, which is where a woman loses a coin that's worth about a week's worth of wages and she kind of searches high and low and high and low and that's what she does. Um, and then she finds it. So she throws a party to celebrate because, you know, money found is money found. And if we think it's lost, it's almost like doubled its value, right? So there's the story of the lost sheep, which is a shepherd who has a flock of 100. Um, and then one day he does the head count, you know, and there's 99. So we're missing one. So what does he do? He leaves the 99. Again, for those in church, a very well-known expression. Leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Why? Because the one is vitally important. And what happens when he finds the one? He chucks it over his shoulders and he brings it back and there's a celebration. The third story in the series, and the one that receives kind of the most in-depth telling, is the prodigal son, right? So this story, again, like I like to think of this story. It's three stories we've just heard there. This next story, I like to think of a story in three parts, and I'm not even a pastor, right? The three things just kind of rolls off the tongue, right? So it's not like, it's not like a rule I've implemented here. It just kind of works that way. <laughs> Mike is like, yes, it does. See, tell him, Tex, right? So story in three parts. There's three distinct characters, three distinct things. Okay, so part one is what I call the sun, right? The sun, overt sinner, actions and consequences. We'll come back to kind of all of that along the way, all right? So again, scene setting again. This is not a diversion. It's all on track, promise. Stay with me, right? So we're in ancient Israel. So there's a man, he lives on some land, and he works with his two sons. And one day his younger son comes to him, and I know you've probably heard this story before, and if you haven't, awesome, great, the greatest story of all time. If you have, just bear with me, right? So he's working the land with his two sons, and the younger son comes to him, and he says, Dad, hey, how you going? And he's like, I imagine he's just like making small talk, because when you're going to ask somebody a rubbish question, you never just come in with a rubbish question, right? You're like, how you going? Land looks good, fences and whatnot looking very nice. And he's like, hey, um, so my inheritance, and the dad's like, so the thing that you get when I die, he's like, yeah, can I have it now? And the dad's like, I mean, I'm very much alive, <laughs> um, but okay, let's talk about it, right? And uh, it's not really helpful, right? It's not really considerate of the youngest son to do this, because yeah, he's effectively saying, hey, dad, if you were dead, that would be okay, all right? Now, keep in mind that in these times, sons would work the land, they would work the business with their father, 
right? And that would work. And then what would happen is the father would get older and not be able to look after the land and the sons would have sons and then they would kind of, and the, and the cycle would just kind of continue, right? Sons and fathers, sons and fathers, right? Uh, and then when the father passed, the inheritance would be passed down from there, cycle continues. But, shockingly, the father accepts. He says, okay. And he divides his property and he divides his possessions and he gives the younger son his half. And what does the younger son do? Does he hang Ooh. Does the younger son just kind of like hang out and do his thing? And he's like, cool, now I've got all this money and I'll just keep on working the land. Oh, of course not. He just disappears immediately. He goes to a far off country and leaves. Now there, and this is the exact quote, and I'm not doing this because it's like, mate, this is the exact quote. I just don't have a slide. And there he squanders his property in reckless living. Right? So I've kind of always thought about this because, well, why not? I've kind of always thought about it as like a biblical Vegas situation. You know, he just disappears off and he's kind of, he's buying drinks and he's buying food and he's kind of going crazy. You know, girls and booze and all the other fun things. Fun things? Wrong message text, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean. Um, Right? So he's just blowing all of his money on dumb stuff. How about that? Dumb things, dumb things, dumb things. There we go. Pull it back, pull it back. Let's catch that in the edit, right? So... So days and weeks and months go by and he's hard partying and hard living and he's not working because why would you work when you've got a bank account full of cash or a pouch full of coins as it may have been, right? And then it's just spent. It's just gone. And it's kind of like those moments where you're like, you're at work on Friday and you get a text from somebody and they're like, hey, we're going to get pizza tonight. You want to come? You're like, I should totally get pizza. And then you get there and they're like, oh, it's two drinks for 10 bucks. Yeah, I should get two drinks for 10 bucks. And if I get two, I might as well get four. And then Friday night, so you have your pizza and then as you're leaving, somebody's like, we're going to brunch tomorrow. You're like, I should totally go to brunch tomorrow. You get there and they're like, mimosas, sick. And then all of a sudden, now you're at brunch and then brunch turns into lunch, turns into dinner. And then you kind of get to Sunday night and you're like, I don't have money to get petrol tomorrow. <laughs> this is a little bit of a problem, right? So. This is kind of the situation that the son finds himself in. He's gone and he's had an amazing time and now it's gone. It's all spent. And what do we do? Now he's in a far off country. He's got no family support. Um, and it's just, it's there. And like at this point, there's no, like he's been staying in like a tavern, let's for example. You know, like that's gone because you've got to pay for that. He doesn't really have any family there, none. He's got no friends because the kind of friends that only hang around when you're paying for mimosas disappear when you stop paying for mimosas, right? So they're just gone out of the equation. So what's he doing? So he's like, okay, I'll work it out. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You're, you know, you used to work. How hard can it be? And then he goes and looks, starts looking for work and of course a famine begins. Now this means there's no work to go around. There's less available jobs. It means that the people who do have businesses or farms or whatever are relying on their family to help them work that. Yeah, pick that up, you know, I just dropped it for you, right? So he took on the only job he could get, which was feeding pigs. Our friends, again, um, this is ancient Israel. Uh, This isn't just a rubbish job, this is a shameful job. Okay, pigs are like the lowest of the low, right? So if he was still in contact with his family, it would be bringing real great shame upon them. Lucky for him, they think he might be dead, you know? (laughs) There's no shame there. (laughs) So he's hungry. And he's feeding these pigs every day because that's the job that he's got. And eventually he starts kind of feeding and he's kind of doing his job and he's you know, effectively you know, a servant and a slave. And he's doing this crappy job and then he kind of goes, oh, what the pigs are getting is pretty good. I wish I could eat what the pigs... I wish I could eat what the pigs are eating. <laughs> Friends, I don't know if you've ever seen what pigs eat. Not so good, right? Like chickens are like, that looks rubbish. Uh, so he's, he's, he's doing this and all of a sudden there's just this realization of like, ah, oh, desperation just kind of exists in the bottom of a pig's trough, right? That's where he's at. And then he has this revelation where you, go, you, read, you know, you read all these different kind of translations. I, I like this one in particular when you get to this part where he's like, my, my father's servants are fed better than this. They're treated better than this. They even get bread. They get bread. 
How good's that? Go talk to Sarah. How good's bread? Right? Like, it's the best. Carbs always win, right? So all of a sudden, he's like, okay, I've got a plan. I'm going to return home. Um, and I'm not going to go back home and expect what I had. Um, at least he's self-aware enough to kind of think about that, right? And he goes, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to beg my father's forgiveness, and I'm going to ask if I can be one of his servants. Um, that's it. I'm not recl- coming to reclaim my former place. I just want to work as a servant under my father. He's lost his money, he's lost his stature, he's lost his love, and he's lost pride. That's it, that's four things, by the way, if you're keeping track, not just threes, right? So that moves us on to, though, part two, right, which is the father. So he begins the journey home. It's a slow and pretty lonely walk, nothing but the road ahead in his thoughts. And as he's nearing the end of the journey, as he's nearing the home that he grew up in, the home that he deserted, his father spots him from a pretty reasonable distance away. And this is because a parent doesn't forget. His father would recognize his gait, his walk, the outline of his body, the shape of his son. He's going to pick this from a million miles away. I'm blind as a bat and I can pick my kids from the other side of the room. It's unmistakable in a way that only a parent will ever understand. So the father spots him from the distance. And what does the father do? Does he mop his brow, kind of kick the dirt? He'll say a little swear word under his breath. Does he sigh? No. Church, he runs. He runs to his boy as fast as his legs will take him. Right? Why? Coleander has an amazing expression about this. It's an amazing quote, which is, it is for us to begin, and if we take one step towards the Lord, he takes ten towards us. Okay? I love that. That floored me when I read it, and I was like, okay. So we've got a slumped and broken man using every piece of energy he can just to make it back to the doorstep. He's done. He's exhausted. He's literally at the end of his tether. We're talking, remember the pig trough? That's where we're at. And on the other side is his father running 10 times quicker than he can possibly imagine just to grab him, just to touch his boy. So church, it's a bit like the fact that our sin is never too much for Jesus. Um, may we never ever forget, as Colander says, that no matter how hard we are running towards him, towards the Father, that he is always running 10 times faster and 10 times harder back to us. His arms are open wider than you could possibly imagine. So he embraces him. The Father embraces him and he kisses him and love is just gushing out of him. And the son's trying to stop him, right? Like he's got this rehearsed speech. Remember, it's been a really long walk. He was in a distant, not a distant land, a distant country, right? This is quite the walk, right? So he's, he's like, I've got this speech. It's a really good one. And he's trying to stop and I imagine he's trying to do the father's trying to grab him. He's like, I've got a thing to say, I've got a thing to say, right? So he does. And it comes back to our teaching text. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father, he wouldn't yell. It. He wouldn't, sorry. His father wouldn't have it. He does yell, but he yells to his servants. And he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. He was home. He had been lost but he was found. He was a lost coin found. A wandering sheep reunited with the flock. Dead but alive. These aren't just words, church. There's no cell phone. There's no text message. There's no Insta stories of like, you know, those mimosas like clanging together, right? There's nothing. There is nothing. Once he's gone, the father has no idea where he is, if he's doing okay, if he's alive or dead. 
The father's worked hard. He's worked along his sons and one had wished for the things he'd received when he died. He left peace and happiness, security, safety all behind for the unknown. And the father said, okay. I imagine the sleepless nights of the father, just tossing and turning, wondering, how's he doing? Is he coming home? The agony, the heartache. Would he ever see him again? And then here he was, just flesh standing in front of him. Skinny, probably, disheveled. Not the boy he sent away, but home. Dead now alive. Our part three is the brother, Pharisee. Prideful rule follower, important one. So where was he through all this? So this whole story, his brother's gap year, right? Where was he? It was the same place he'd always been. He was working in the land, in the field, working and toiling away. And that's exactly what he was doing when his brother returned home. Until, of course, you know, you're kind of working and then, you know, we're not talking, this is not like some kind of like concrete mecca. This is like fields and stuff, right? So if all of a sudden the band starts to play and there's music playing, you're going to hear it. And the brother's out toiling away and he kind of goes, why is it? And he starts, he starts walking back towards the house and he can kind of see people coming and going and a bit of excitement. And he yells out to a servant, what's going, he goes, what's going on? And the servant comes rushing over, really, really excited, right? And he's like, your brother's home. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So the brother's ecstatic, right? He's stoked. My brother's home. No, he's not stoked. Of course not, right? Not overjoyed with love. He's angry. He's so angry, he refuses to even enter the party. That's it. I'll stay out here, thank you very much. I've got digging to do. <laughs> and to a lot of us, when you hear that and when you read it, you're probably going, it's a little bit justified, no? He's done all the right things. Brother's home, so what? So the father comes to him and begs him to come and celebrate. His son has returned. Your brother has returned. Why should he celebrate? He's done the right thing. He's worked hard. He's honored his father. He's followed all of the rules. He deserved to be celebrated. No, he's not coming to the party. So the father implores him. No doubt he understands his anger, but this line next is the one that I've definitely slept on too heavily to the point that I don't have a slide for this one because it hit me this morning, right? My son, you were always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we celebrate because your father has returned home again, dead now alive. That's it. Like, that's the crux. But he doesn't force him. Again, the decision's his. Will he come and celebrate the return of his brother? Or will pride keep him from the party? Tim Keller writes in his book, Prodigal God, if you think goodness and decency is the way to merit a good life from God, you'll be eaten up with anger since life never goes as we wish. Here's the fun part, that's it. That's the end of the story. In some ways, this is the part where Mike and Jen kind of just cringe up just a little bit. <laughs> good. In some ways, I've always been a little bit dissatisfied with that ending. Not a fun thing to say about the Bible, let me tell you. Right? It felt like a bit of a, yeah, I don't know about you guys, Cara and I used to be obsessed. We used to watch SVU every week, right? And sometimes you get the kind of wrap up in like an hour and then sometimes it gets to the end and they go, I guess we'll never catch the murderer. And it goes, dun dun, and you're like, and it cuts to the ad for like Better Homes and Gardens and there's no satisfaction. <laughs> and you're just going, I, I guess we're not gonna catch, okay, cool, fun, like great times. <laughs> what, I mean, fun way to spend an hour but not a super satisfying ending, right? So in writing this sermon, 
and being given the opportunity to talk to you today, um, God has very much forced me to look at that again. Um, because if you're a regular churchgoer, I promise there's times you felt like that older brother. I promise. Why is so-and-so getting that opportunity before me or over me? Speaking of, hi, my name's Tex. I've never spent a day in Bible college or seminary. Let me bring you the word today. Right? Some of you in this room, if you're being really honest, potentially saw me walk up here or heard it announced last week and went, him? I get it. I do. Um, it's kind of against the rules, right? Kind of. Not really, but kind of. And it's funny, though, because that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to just follow the rules. Following rules, acting through pie, doing the right things. Friends, if that's our focus, we've missed the point entirely. We really have. The Father's love is no different for either brother. That's when God, when I, when I really dug deep and when I went in, with a bit of prodding and a bit of poking, it's the Father's love is no different. There's the obvious sinner, right? And there's the less obvious sinner of the rule follower. But their price was the same. Because inheritance split two ways is still split two ways. That's happening, right? But it's how it's received and responded to. Because as with so many things in life, we can't choose what's happened around us. The older brother cannot choose the decision the father made, but he absolutely gets to choose how he responds. So why this story? Why this parable from Jesus to those that were gathered? Again, church, the reason is that this is the story This is the hero's story. This is the only story. This is the Garden of Eden. This is the story of a lost coin found and celebrated. The story of a lost sheep found, returned to the flock and celebrated. The the story of a son dead, now alive. If we're lucky, for just a brief moment, we find ourselves one of the 99. In this building, God's church, saved and safe. Our absolute responsibility is the one. Once we're lucky enough to be in the 99, we pursue the one with the fire of a thousand suns. That's what the focus should have always been. And that's what it should always be. Their story isn't our concern. Welcoming them home is. Okay? So Keller again. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon. There is no sin that is a match for his grace. So the son returns, and the father's ecstatic. No harm, no foul, yeah? Not really. Because whilst it feels like it's just this really simple story of acceptance and homecoming, there's an important reminder that we need to not forget. The son returned and was welcomed back to the fold. Love without condition from his father but it did come with a cost. Not to him, because I don't know about you, but I'm not calling dented pride a cost. Okay? But it came at a cost to the father in so many ways. Half of everything he had, by the way, is now gone out the window. The stress of a son who would rather cavort around the city might blowing money on booze and prostitutes than be at home. That's stressful, man. It's gone. The impact on his relationship with his other son due to the actions of his, his younger son that he, you know, he supported, he gave him the money. Even the party itself comes at an expense. So why am I focusing on this? Because it's an important reminder that whilst we may not be the ones who pay the cost, our actions still have a cost. 
our actions will always have a cost. Our still sin comes at a cost. Our homecoming comes at a cost. For all of us, sons and daughters, that at one point or another were offered everything and continued to choose to leave anyway, to strike our own path rather than stay with a loving father in a loving environment. We're blessed by the fact, church, that those are still our choices to make because of the blood of the lamb that was spilled for you and me. All in the name of guaranteeing that no matter how far we go, how bad our journey is, how twisted our story, our Father will always run towards us to greet us when we decide we're ready to come home again. He will cover us in kisses and he will pay that cost again. The brother is hurt and we get it. But the Father still came and pleaded for him to join them. He welcomed him home too. He welcomed him to the party too. On paper, he'd done the right things, but that's the wrong focus. Our salvation isn't bought with good deeds and right things. Sometimes you've got to be willing to block out your head and you've got to lead with your heart to welcome home your brother despite your frustration. Why? Again, because both sons are welcomed home. The father wants all of us in the party. This isn't an exclusive party. He wants all of us there. Our brother, one brother, sorry, sinning out of selfishness and the other sinning out of self-righteousness. They're both sinners, but they're both loved. That's the why. Because we welcome the one home maybe for the first time in their life. We welcome them home because they're God's child the same as you and I are. It doesn't take more than that. It's grace poured out for us. The cost has already been paid. But we celebrate when the one comes home because Jesus celebrates when they come home. The cost he paid, not in vain. The cost that was paid for us, paid for us, whether we accept it or not, by the way, purely out of love, there for us when we are ready to receive it. It looks a little different, right, for everyone. Father, I've been trying so hard, but last night the house was empty and I was lonely and I clicked that link again, I'm sorry. We think that's it, we're just, we're done, right? But no, bring quickly the best robe and put it on my son. Welcome to my family, we are so glad you're here. Father, I did it again. I woke up today and my mouth was dry and my head was throbbing. I promised myself I wouldn't drink like that anymore. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, I'm sorry. We bring a ring for his hand. How do you take your coffee? Let me bring it to you. Father, I gossip and I talk ill of others, I'm sorry. Bring shoes for his feet and come and sit with me. Father, I've blamed you for all of the bad things in my life. I've spoken against you, turned my back on you, I'm sorry, but I'm here today because I'm begging you to take control of my life again, to love me again. When somebody does that, we bring the fattened lamb for the slaughter and tonight we celebrate. And how does that look like for us? Let me pray with you. Let me walk with you. Let me call you brother or sister in Christ and let me welcome you home. It's really that simple, church. Welcoming people home means just that. It's a series of small gestures from us. They start small. It starts with literally just welcoming someone in. The end, I don't, I don't know. Genuinely, I don't know. It depends on how much you're willing to sacrifice for the one. How much I'm willing to sacrifice for the one. God gave it all. Literally everything. His only son sent as a lamb to the slaughter. A debt that could only be paid by him. Sacrifice to protect those that sacrificed him. 
knowing one day he'd be welcoming those same people home. If the rest of the band would like to join Tay, that would be lovely. For everyone here, that looks a little different. For Jesus, it looked exactly the same. Our cost was the same. The son who left for a life of debauchery and the son who stayed but waited in judgment, it was the same cost. It doesn't seem fair. But we all need love and grace equally. Whether our sins are great or small, because those are our metrics. Big sin and small sin, those are our metrics, right? They're our measuring stick. They're not Jesus. It's all sin. But Jesus' cost is the same. Our lives and our stories and our histories, everyone in this room and everyone watching at home and everyone who's not yet come into this building or another one, our histories are so, so different. Our reward is exactly the same. It's the very same unconditional and undying love and eternal life. And for some of us, myself included, this is the bit that always gets me, it's all granted from someone that we not only denied, but at times I outright rejected. Same reward, same love. What of our costs? Church, could we buy the coffee next time we catch up? With a mate we just haven't seen in a while. Could we invite someone we don't know that well around for dinner? And just when they say, what can I bring? Just bring yourself, man, come and do life with me. When you leave church tonight, would you walk out the door and take 20 steps to the right and go and introduce yourself to our neighbors? and look them in the eye and shake their hand and humanize everybody involved? Would you be willing to send that first text to that person, the person that you've been waiting for that text from? Because they wronged you, right? They're the ones who need to start this process, but would you be willing to send it purely based on the fact that you know that person needs a homecoming and you might be the only person they're willing to receive it from? (sighs) Again, Each of these will attract a different cost, but cost you they will. But you must sacrifice your preferences and in all honesty, some of yourself to follow the path that our Father set for us. So allow me to be incredibly clear. All of the above have nothing to do with Encounter Church. The home that I keep on referring to, it's a home with the Father, it's a home in the kingdom of heaven. Finding your sense of home and a place with a loving God. I'd love it if that journey included us here, even if just for a little bit. But the only correlation between the size of this room that interests me is how many of you I see when I go home to. There's no mic today. Sorry. But I've got a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote for you anyway. I know, right? For those who don't know, Google it. The slides are up. You can look at it later. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is just like the king of like living with integrity, right? So look him up. More than I can do grace with just a simple word. Bonhoeffer. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Why do we make these changes? Why should we focus on the one and not just ourselves and the lost and not the found? Guys, it's so simple. I just, you know, it's like half an hour of me banging on. And the answer is because Jesus did it. That's exactly what he did. And because that God was not sent to the cross to perish, but to rise again, to live amongst us, to continue to remind us and set the standard, not a memory of this standard, a continual living God continuing to set the standard, to welcome people home with a love that is so wide, so deep that it can't help but be personal.
God's love is bigger than our sin. Jesus was sent here by a father who loved him to pay the cost for both brothers. That's you and me. Do you hear this? Do you feel it? Or are you just living in the light of it? Just happy to exist and accept that cheap grace. Jesus died the death that we deserved so that we could receive the love that we desperately need. So that the door to our home was always open and that we would know that to be true. A love that has been and always will be bigger than our sin, bigger than our story. And that's my message today, friends. That's the story. If you take away nothing else from today, take that away. We have a father. He chose you and he will always choose you. He paid the cost so that you don't have to. His love is ever present. It never failed and it never left. All you need to do is take that first step home again. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.